Shabbat Shalom. Turn with me to Galatians, Galucha, Galatians chapter 3. Um, we're going to take off again on um, part 2 of last week's teaching, The Awakening of Israel. So for those of you that didn't listen to that or weren't here last week, for the past year or so, we've spent a lot of time in the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, going through the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews, Galatians, and we've been using a lot of terms that are unfamiliar with many of our new listeners and um, people that are tuning in online. So, terms like the dispersion, the galut, those in the nations, Ephraim, Israel, the scattered tribes that are abroad, James chapter 1, and various terms that can so easily, we that have been following the Hebrew, Hebrew context of the scripture for some time, forget that those that are joining us, our new audience, don't understand these terms in their biblical context. So throwing them around through Hebrews, Galatians, Romans, I felt that it was time for us to backtrack a little bit and go through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation and give us an overview as who are the people of God? Who are the people of Yah? Where do we find them? What does the Bible say? Because the problem is we have been taught so much error in our denominations, whether it's Catholic, Church of England, Protestant, Evangelical, and our context is usually based upon the religion of men and the culture that we live in today. Whereas what I'm hoping to do, if you take out your pen and pencil, is that you find a page in your scriptures, your very Bibles, and you go through today writing down the chapters and verses that we're going to look at. Because I'm going to do something different today, and that is to put up the scriptures on the screen for you here and you online so that you can see that what I'm communicating to you isn't from my mind, it is literally the mind of Yah that has been put on the scriptures and we are literally, literally from the beginning going to thread the needle with that wonderful red thread of Yahusha from Genesis through the prophets and into the New Testament to find out who are the people of Yah. That is the question. This is part two of the awakening of Israel. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. For you are all children by faith. How do we come into this great walk? Because we come in by faith. Just like Abraham did. We have our faith and we place that faith in Mashiach, Messiah, Yahushua. For as many of you as have been immersed, baptized into Messiah, have put on Messiah. Verse 28. There is, now that we have this faith, we are all one new man. There is neither Jew, nor Aramean, nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one 
Israel body in the Messiah, Yahushua. And if you are Messiahs, then you are Abraham's seed. And then that makes you an heir according to the promise. According to the promise that was given to Abraham, this is New Testament. This is telling us again where our roots lie. And look at those roots because remember Genesis chapter 28 verse 3. A lot of the problems that we're encountering today and have encountered today is because of a false construct, a false identity. We have been told something that isn't so. And because we built a foundation upon a lie, we have found ourselves hungry and thirsty and misdirected. When the Bible says that if you are in Yahushua, you will never hunger, that you will never thirst. But if our foundation is built upon the church being born in Acts chapter 2... That is a foundation that crumbles on the weight of Scripture. Because the Bible tells us that the church was born in Genesis chapter 28. And if that is so, then there is no replacement theology that our benefits in Yahushua the Messiah must connect back to the promises of Abraham. This now shadows the very words that Paul says to his audience. And I pray today that we, 2,000 years later, would be like the people that Paul was writing to, an on-fire audience coming into the faith, grasping the promises and living and changing the life that thousands of years later people would be talking about and saying, I want that because I've got to tell you what has brought me to stand here and teach and communicate to you was in my 20s a heart and desire saying, I just want to try and capture that first century faith because I know it's got to be more than sitting in this plastic chair every Sunday singing third day and watching music videos and my pastor talking about current events and trying to match that up with the scripture and it usually revolved around a beavers or a ducks game. And I'm like, wow. Did I get converted for this? Because I'm dealing with some major things in my life, like getting over addiction, getting over immorality, and trying to live holy in a sick and twisted world. And we're sitting here talking about survivor and trying to match that with verse 16 of Mark. That depressed me. I would leave so despondent, so demoralized, because I was like... This isn't going to help me get through the week. How am I going to get through the week? I need to be built up, edified, and connected to the very faith that was once delivered to the saints. That's what motivates me, and I know that's what motivates you guys. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me communicate the message the way that we are receiving it today. Look at the birth of the church, Genesis chapter 28, verse 3. And El Shaddai said, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you 
you, and you shall become a church, and El Shaddai shall give you the bracha, the blessing of Abraham, to you and to your seed with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which Elohim gave to Abraham. And some of you are like looking in your Bibles and saying, well, hang on, it doesn't say a church there. The word congregation is translated from the Hebrew word kahal, which is translated in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, into the Greek word ekklesia, which is the same word that is translated into your New Testament as church. So if we're going to be authentic and we're going to be genuine scholars of the word, and we're going to lay down our prejudices, then we have to translate this as church. This is the church. This was where the church was born, and it connects to the promises of Abraham, which makes Paul's letter to the Galatians make sense in a way that you and I have never understood. This is the deep well of water that Yahuwah wants us to tap into in this generation. Because this will change your whole view of who you are. You will be deep, rooted, and connected to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Let's look and see now, if that's the birth of the church, that body that we are connected to is none other than Israel's body because Jacob wrestled with Yahweh and Yahweh changed his name to Israel. And for all of us who are listening to this today, we didn't get here without a struggle. I have struggled with Yah. I have struggled with the word. I have struggled with my pastor. I have struggled with elders in the church. I have struggled with society. I have had a life of struggle to get where I am at today. And I know that you guys, you have had struggles. Struggles with your family. Struggles with those that you love. We have struggled and wrestled. And the word is what is triumphant in our life. And we have said, I know I'm struggling, but the word says this, and I know that this is really going to affect my life, and it's going to turn everything upside down, and the ramifications of that are huge, but I've got to do it. I have, he, if he purchased me, I can't live a compromised life. And if the word says that, and everybody else is saying that, I'm going with this, and that is is the Jacob people, the Israel people, the people that struggle with Yah. And Elohim appeared, Genesis 35 verse 9, appeared to Jacob again when he came out of Padam Aram and he blessed him. And Elohim said to him, your name is Jacob, Yaakov. Your name shall not be any more called Yaakov, Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And he called his name Israel. And Elohim said to him, I am El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply a nation, a goy, and a church, a kahal in the Hebrew or ekklesia in the Greek, that same word that's translated into the New Testament as congregation or church. You shall be a church where? 
in the nations and goyim shall come from you and kings shall come out of your loins and the land that I gave Abraham and Isaac to you I will give it and to your seed after you will I give the land. So the church is connected to Israel's body which makes Romans chapter 11 truly, truly come into proper context, does it not? Let's continue on. We're recapping over a few things from last week before I jump in from the Torah, from the prophets into more of a New Testament context of Scripture today. But before I do, I wanted to bring forth a couple of Scriptures from the Torah and the prophets to lead us into the New Testament so we have that context. Again, last week I spoke to you about the garment of Jeroboam. And you'll remember, those of you familiar with the Tanakh, that what happened is there was King David, there was Israel under one king. And when King David died, then we had Solomon. And after Solomon, then we had Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And at that time, what we find is that there was the kingdom became divided. You see, the garment of Jeroboam is shredded into 12 pieces. Because remember, Rehoboam said, you know what? I'm going to take the counsel, not of the elder men, but I'm going to take the counsel of the younger men that surround me, and we're going to tax Israel even thicker, even heavier than Solomon did. So the northern kingdom, under the leadership of Jeroboam, said, "Uh uh-uh. No way, we're not putting up with that. We're going to go up north to tell Dan and we're going to build ourselves a couple of golden calves. We're going to do the feasts and festivals on our days of what is our choosing, not according to the instructions of Yah. This is sounding awfully 21st century and familiar, isn't it? We're not going to do it Yah's way. We're going to do it the way the nations do it, but we're going to say we're doing it unto Yah. This is a problem. This is what ensnared Israel and was Israel's downfall all the time. Then Yahweh brings forth prophets. And the whole reason Yahweh brings forth prophets is to tell Israel, hey, stop worshipping Yahweh the way the nations worship their gods. He hates that. Repent. Come back into his teachings and instructions. If you love him, keep his commandments. The very words that Yahushua would say 2,000 years later. So the kingdom at this point becomes divided. There's northern Israel, which is under the leadership of Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim. It becomes known as the ten northern tribes. They get into all kinds of synchristic mixing the nation's worship with the commandments of Yah, mixing it all up into a proverbial soup. And we know in Revelation it says, come out of, my, come out of her, my people. That mixture, Yah hates mixing. Ephraim, the ten northern tribes, get caught up into this synchristic worship. The Assyrians come in take them captive and scatter them to the nations, to the four corners of the earth, never to be returned back to the land. Sometime later, 
the tribes left in Judea and Benjamin, which are Judah, Benjamin, and Levi, they are taken captive into Babylon, but only for 70 years, only. And they do return to the land. So the context of what Yahushua was born into was a land that was occupied mainly by the tribe of Judah, some Levites, and a few from the land of Benjamin, because, of course, that was where the temple was. But those ten northern tribes, Ephraim, they were came synonymously, synonymously excuse me, named with, scattered into the nations, never to return. So here we see the division of this kingdom in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 29. Wanted to give you a little bit of a historical backdrop for those of our new audience that aren't even familiar with this part of Scripture. Because many of you will be looking, well, where's 1 Kings, you know? Because you're used to where's 1 John and the book of John, but not necessarily where 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles is. Is that even in our Bibles? Yes. And it shall come to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out from Jerusalem that the prophet Achiah the Shimonite met him on the way. And he had prepared himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. And Achiah grabbed the new garment that was on him and he tore it into 12 pieces. Of course, these 12 pieces represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourselves 10 pieces. Jeroboam, you can take the 10 tribes, the 10 northern tribes. For this says Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel. See, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake. That would be the tribe of Judah. The city which I have chosen out of all of the tribes of Israel. So ten tribes go up north, Benjamin, um, excuse me, Judah and Levi and a few from the remnant of Benjamin stay there in Judea. So now we have a division. We've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The prophets are going to come along for hundreds and hundreds of years, and of course, prophets are there to restore that which was broken. What's broken? What is the whole point of the prophets? To try and somehow get the children of Israel to repent so that they can come back into one restored kingdom. That's the context of the Bible. So to Orthodox Jews today that are looking for the Messiah, the Messiah, from a biblical perspective, has got nothing to do with Christmas. The Messiah, from a biblical perspective, and only from a biblical perspective, has got one thing to do. And this is why the Jews reject Yahushua as Messiah, because we haven't told them that he's doing this and has fulfilled this promise. The only purpose of the Messiah is to do one thing, which is the very question that the disciples asked the post-resurrected Yahushua. Master, when will we get to celebrate Christmas? Oh, but they didn't say that. Master, when will you restore 
the kingdom to Israel. When will you break, when will you heal this breach? That's the purpose, the only purpose, the only purpose from a biblical perspective of the Messiah. He's going to heal Israel and bring them back into one house, one stick, as Ezekiel says, or as Paul communicates to the Ephesians, one new man. That's the Bible. I just gave you the whole history of the Bible in under a minute. And the whole purpose of Messiah. Nobody ever told me that that was the reason that Yahushua came. Yet I was a part of that promise. Scattered into England. Grew up in a secular house in England. Lost. Thrown to the wind. Blown away like chaff. Ended up dry, destitute, and absolutely done at 24 years old. And then I die, I get born again, like that seed that's got to first fall to the ground and die so that it can really live. And then, look, here I am. That is a work of the Messiah in his people, restoring us into one new man. We're all supposed to do the same thing, and the only way we can do the same thing is if we recognize where we were born, and that the church was born in Genesis 28, and that we're partakers of the promises given to Abraham. And if we are part of a body, that body has to connect to Israel. Now things are starting to make sense to me. This is the Bible on fire in the 21st century. So now we can see, he tells us that there is going to be, of course, a divided kingdom. And the prophet comes along. Let's look at Hosea, for instance. He comes along in Hosea chapter 8. Verse 11, and says, Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, the altars shall be counted to him as sin. You see, we have counted as those scattered children to the world, we have counted his Torah just a weird and strange thing, have we not? I know I did for over a decade. And we've made so many denominational altars for sin, have we not? Does Yahweh take pleasure in the Eucharist? Does Yahweh take pleasure in the moon stance? These are the altars of sin that have been conjured up in the nations by syncretism. This is the same problem that Israel has always had. We as a religious people have always had. And Hosea says, look, I have written to him a great and numerous things from my Torah, but they were counted as a strange thing. In the New Testament only church, we look at the Torah as a strange thing that doesn't pertain to us. And therefore we continue to have altars of sin. But when we start to realize that the Bible is one book from Genesis to Revelation and that it is good, just, holy and righteous to help you live in a righteously, in an iniquitous world, then you can't start to count none of his word as a strange thing, but something that can refine you and keep you safe and protected. It is a fence and a hedge 
that will keep out the wicked wiles of the enemy. You know, like in Africa, to keep the lions out, they would just build those, those big acacia bushes. They would take those acacia bushes, the acacia thorn tree. I mean, the, the, the thorns on that thing, they're a good two to three inches. Of course, that's what Yahushua was crowned with. But they would use that acacia bush to keep the lions out from the camp. And that is what is happening. We are using the word like an acacia bush to keep the lions, those carnivorous animals from destroying and eating us up in a sick and twisted world. That's the purpose of the Bible, to guard, protect, and keep us safe. Look at the iniquitous altars that you and I have been taught. Well, it's okay. You're under grace. You've got Yahushua now. But there's so many problems with the altars that we've inherited. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my dearly beloved... Flee from idolatry. This is a New Testament verse. We're not to be involved in idols. This is very current, very relative to us. And those who eat of the sacrifices are partakers of that altar. Whatever altar you go to, you're partaking of that sacrifice. Huge consequences. Look at verse 20. The things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they really actually sacrifice to demons. And they don't do it unto Elohim. So if you're not doing things according to the Bible, it doesn't matter what you say in your heart because we know that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and who can know it? But in my heart, I'm, un- I'm just doing it unto Jesus. But your heart has led you down an iniquitous path. It needs to be redeemed. And even then, once it's redeemed, it is only because you listen to the Holy Spirit that you stay out of iniquitous behavior. But if you choose not to listen to the Holy Spirit, you'll go right back like a dog to its vomit. So be careful not to massage your own heart. Because it is an iniquitous thing. It comes from the dust and it will want to lead you right back into the dirt and the dirty things of the world. Because we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to Elohim. And I would not that you should have friendship with demons. You cannot drink the Kiddush, the Master's cup, the cup of Yahuwah. This is the third third cup of the Passover and the cup of demons. You cannot be partakers of Yahweh's altar and the altar of demons. What is going on here? Paul is telling you something about what was going on in the Roman and Corinthian Greco-Roman world. That they were doing something. They were coming to the Passover, Yahweh's Passover, which was the altar of Yahuwah, and they wanted to partake of the four cups of Passover. They wanted to partake of Yahushua's cup, which is the third cup, the cup of redemption. But Paul is telling them, this is the altar of Yahuwah. And I hear, Corinthians, that you're also visiting another altar which is actually the altar of demons. And now you're trying to mix them together That's called syncretism. And I'm not having any of it. So what was going on in the history of the world that they got caught up in? Now this is going to be very hard for some of you. 
this is going to be very hard for some in our internet audience because this is where I'm going to have to tear down, just like the prophet Isaiah, before we can build up. We have to tear down the sacred altar, the sacred idol, because this is going to be kind of like ripping off a religious band-aid. You know, it's got to come off and you just... What was the cup of demons that they were doing that has come into our 21st century Christian religious world of worship and that we have looked at and partook of, all of us, unquestioningly, without going, well, hang on a minute. Paul says to the Corinthians, keep the feast of Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, I believe it is. Keep the feast of Passover. Yet we were told to do other things. This is where the other things come from. This is from 2 Maccabees chapter 6, verse 5, that used to be in the Bible until the American Bible Society and the Archbishop of Canterbury decided to change the Scripture. But that's another thing. 2 Maccabees chapter 6, verse 5, this is in the Catholic Bible. The altar, this is talking about the worship of Dionysus. The altar was laden with unclean victims prohibited by the law, the Torah. It was no longer allowed to celebrate the Sabbath or observe the customs of our ancestors or even to declare oneself a Jew. But on the contrary, they were led by bitter necessity to celebrate the king's birthday with a monthly sacrifice. And when the feast of Dionysus came, they were also forced to follow the Dionysus procession and wear floral wreaths of ivy. So Dionysus was the Greek god of fertility and ecstasy. Now, he was celebrated through ritual wine drinking and yearly festivals that included dancing and intoxication. In the Bache, in the Bache by the Greek playwright Euphrates, written in the 5th century before the Common Era, it's revealed Not only is Dionysus born of a virgin, but his blood is wine to be shared. So this comes from the 5th century before Christ. There was a false god that, what? Dionysus was born of a virgin, but his blood is wine that is to be shared. Now, Dionysus, the god of the grape harvest, wine making and wine is the god. The god of the grape harvest, wine making and wine. He, in fact, is no other than the son of Zeus. The son of Zeus. This is all Greek mythology. This was known in the ancient world. This was known in the ancient world indeed. To the Romans, though, Dionysus was none other than Bacchus. Than Bacchus. They worshipped him on Bacchus Day. And his day was Sunday. The first day of the week. And at Sunday, at sunrise... At the river 
Tiber, which is just outside, flows through Rome. At sunrise on Sunday at the river Tiber in Rome, what they would do is they would congregate as the sun rose with a small sun disc wafer. And they would take a small cup of blood from the sacrificed child that they had sacrificed to Bacchus and they would drink of the blood and they would partake of the wafer and this of course is the counterfeit to the true Yahweh's Passover. This is Dionysus or Bacchus worship that was in Rome. And where was the Catholic Church born? Only 325 of the common era in Rome. And there was a huge, huge Bacchus cult. And if they wanted them to be part of the universal worship of the Catholic Church, then how are they going to deal with these thousands of thousands of people that go down to the Tiber River every Sunday morning, sacrifice a child, that ain't good, drink of its blood with a sun disc wafer. How can we make those people be a part of our religion? Well, hang on a minute. We don't like the Jews anyway. That's what the Catholic Church would have said back in 325. Let's get rid of anything that even smells Hebraic, like the Passover. And why don't we syncretize this? Let's mix it in. Let's bring in their custom and let's call it a common union. Because it's the common union of men. And that's what they do. 2,000 years later, you're sitting there with tears in your eyes in a worship service, and you're doing nothing that is biblical, but you've been told it's biblical, but if you track it back to the Bible, it doesn't exist. And you know how many people right now are doing this? Mm -mm, mm -mm. Because it emotionally tears at your heart, doesn't it? And those things that emotionally... T- and you've, you've done it with such emotion. That is Yahweh's mercy. The withholding of just judgment deserved when you were practicing iniquitous things. Because you didn't know. You didn't know. I didn't know. He is merciful. He has met people whilst they were doing that. Because they were truly didn't know. But to him who knows... To him it is sin. I could never go back and do that. Now that I know, I will sit down and celebrate the Passover of the Master. And I will drink that third cup of the Passover. And I will do it as often as you celebrate this. And you only do that once a year. That's when you drink of the Master's cup. But the once a week thing that we've been told in religion, this is where it comes from. This is where it comes from, the sacrifice of children to the false god Dionysus or in Rome, Bacchus. This is making you go all the way back to the worship of demons at the river Tiber in Rome. It's the counterfeit child sacrifice ritual that was syncretized into the faith by Constantine in 325 of the Common Era at the Council of Nicaea. If you look, if you go into a Catholic church, 
Look behind the curtain. You will see nothing else, but behind that veil, you'll see the words or the letters S, F, S. And that is the whole farce between the weekly communion that is in the institutionalized church. We need to switch altars. Because when we do that, we are making friendship with demons in the spiritual world that has huge ramifications on our soul. And we wonder why we're hungry, thirsty, and we're not being ministered to. We need to switch altars to the altar of righteousness, the king of righteousness, the Malkizedek, not a Catholic altar of Dionysus or Bacchus, nor a Levitical altar of animal sacrificial blood. Again, we have to be the narrow road that leads to life. I shed tears over this. When I learned this, I was like, oh my goodness, how could I have not read the scriptures for what it really actually says? Keep the Passover. This has got nothing to do with Passover. Passover is but once a year. Drink the cup of the Passover as often as you celebrate Passover, once a year. Now I understand 1 Corinthians in a whole new light. But we have to look at the history of the Bible, the history of the world, to understand where so many of these terrible, terrible, terrible demonic things come from. It's time for Israel to awaken from slumber, is it not? We've proclaimed the blood instead of the kingdom. But the kingdom is the blood. But we've got to proclaim the blood of Messiah, not get caught up in child sacrificial blood. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. These 12 Yahweh sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not the way of the Gentiles. Don't get caught up in that stuff. By staying away from pagan practices. And go into any city of the Shomrim. Enter not. Don't go into the city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep who have strayed from the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim, saying, the kingdom of heaven is offered. So we're not to get caught up in pagan altars. We're not to go into the lands where they syncretize and mix up the worship of Yahweh with the pagan customs of the world. That's what the Samaritans were doing. No, we're to go and seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, in the Hebrew Shem Tov, Matthew Shem Tov translation, it says, go seek the prostituting sheep of the house of Israel. Because that's exactly what we were doing. Prostituting with the gods of this world. And that is exactly what's come into the 21st century with the common union. We're prostituting with Dionysus and Bacchus worship, and we don't even know it. Because we're not reading our Bibles from a biblical perspective. So again, there's so much to learn and so much to unlearn. Matthew chapter 15 verse 21. It is not good to take Israel's Torah and throw it to the Gentiles unless it's requested by faith. How many of you, in all honesty, when you started to come into the revelation of the whole Bible and you start to talk about the feasts and festivals and Sabbath, and you've tried to share that with a believer in the um, traditional um, Christian setting, have, uh, have rejected what you've tried to share. 
Because they're not ready for it. Because they're not requesting that you share what you've been revealed by faith. Right? If somebody comes to you and by faith, they genuinely want to hear about the feast festivals and how to live and how to eat and how to celebrate and worship Yah by faith, then share. But when we share and they don't want to hear, we create unnecessary vexing division and animosity in our friendships, families, and believing community that really doesn't do anybody any good whatsoever. Look at this Bible verse. This really communicates that very well. Then Yahushua went forth there and departed into the coasts of Tsar and Sidon. And see, a woman of Canaan came out from the sea coast and cried to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O master, son of David. My daughter is heavily vexed with a demon. But he answered her not a word. She's got a problem. Does he just start spewing at the mouth. He doesn't answer a word. And his disciples came and sought him saying, hey, get rid of her. For she's crying out after us. But he answered and said, they did not send me but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's his whole mission. His whole mission, the mission of the Messiah, is go and find those ten tribes that were scattered into the nations by the Assyrians, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Because that is the church, Genesis 28. This is the birth of the church, Genesis 28. It's always been about the church. But we've just made up a new definition of what the church is. There's our problem. There's a false construct that we are now demolishing and tearing down so we can build up the word of Yahweh and it builds us up. Then she came and worshipped him saying, Master, help me. But he answered and said, It is not right to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. It is silly of us to take the children's bread, which is the bread is synonymous for the Torah. It's silly to take the teaching and instruction of Yahuwah and cast it before swine. Silly. They're just going to trample all over it. They're going to look at it as a strange thing and they're going to mock you, ridicule you, and they really don't want it. Unless this happens. And she said, True, sir, yet the dogs do eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she firstly was contrite. And she's like, you know what? Yeah, I am polluted and corrupted. Now, there's, there, that's the beginning. There's one sin that Yahweh hates above all iniquitous behavior, and it is what? Why? Because a prideful person can't look at the filth and the mire in which they stand and they won't turn. A murderer, a sodomite, he has options with them. They can still, with a contrite heart, go, Oh, look at the mire, look at the clay. I am but a filthy sinner. But the prideful man, the prideful woman, he hates that because he cannot connect to their heart, 
they will not make repentance because they are prideful. But she here, she acknowledges her sin. She looks at her hands and she says, look, it's true what you say, sir. Yet even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I am but a dog the way I've been living. Then Yahusha answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Because that's the conversion. That's where the conversion starts, just like with Abraham. It's always by faith. She'll end up like that woman that sits at his feet, washing his body with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. And this is the same thing. This is the ingredients of faith and a truly converted life. This is the ingredients. And he says to her, then Yahushua said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it to you even as you will. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. What happens? A broken body is made whole at that very hour, the moment that they repent and come into the presence of the master, Yahushua. He's talking about Israel. The moment Israel is going to be restored into one new man is when the children of Israel recognize that they've been with the dogs caught up in pagan worship, that they no longer count his Torah a strange thing. They come and say, oh yes, but master, what you've been feeding your children, even though I've been with the dogs, the crumbs, they fall from the table. Oh, restore me. And he says, right now I will restore you as one new man. This is the message of the Bible. And it's a message of hope to those of us lost in a sick and iniquitous world. Look, who is wise and who is foolish? If you're going like this because you don't want to hear, then you're foolish because the Bible says in Matthew 25 verse 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom and the bride. And five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. They who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Oil, of course, is likened to the hard pressing and it brings forth a Holy Spirit. So oil is likened to the Holy Spirit. They took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, See, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us from your oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for you and for us. Instead, go to them who sell and buy for yourselves." And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they who were ready went in to him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Master, Master, open to us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man comes." So again, where are you buying your oil from? Are you getting it from Yahuwah and the Holy Spirit? Is that oil? 
Or are you getting it from the pastors that are continuing to disseminate the same propaganda which was invented in 325 of the Common Era? Because when it comes down to it, when the master gets ready to return at his feasts and festivals and you have no idea what's going on and the timing of events, you're going to have to run to your pastors because there's the ones that have been selling you your wares and they won't have the answers for you. And by the time you figure it out, the doors are going to be shut. So now is the time to repent. Now's the time for us to really walk in the ways of Yahuwah. Because they don't have the answers for the tough questions that you're presenting. They don't. They've only got the canned answers from, of course, denominational doctrines that are rooted and built upon a false construct. Look what it says in Matthew 28, verse 18. This, of course, is the great omission. And Yahushua came and spoke to them, saying, All power is given to me into heaven, in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, doing immersion, mikvah, or baptism upon them in my name, teaching them to guard all things which I have commanded you. And see, I am with you always, even to the end of this world. Amen. The great omission is, of course, to guard the commandments of Yahuwah. Because we do believe that Yahushua is Yahuwah manifest in the flesh. There is only one Elohim. So again, things start to make sense when we look more at the Bible. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 11. Because what's happened... When we read this scripture, and it's a prophetic scripture, I think, for 2,000 years we have entered into pagan practices and we have been choked in the nations, the sea of the nations. Have we not? Look at this. For 2,000 years we have entered into pagan practices and because of that we are being choked into the, in the sea of the nations and now this makes so much sense. Now there was there near to the mountains a great herd of pigs feeding and all the demons begged the master Yahushua saying, send us into the pigs that we may attack them and immediately Yahushua gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and attacked the pigs and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and they were choked in the sea. And now you understand, again, this is talking about what's going to happen to those followers of Yahushua. They're going to be choked in the doctrines of demons in the seas of the nations for 2,000 years until they're awakened, the awakening of Israel. Now, as we come into this text in Mark chapter 5, verse 41, we've got to understand this is, this is one of those scriptures that I love that shows us a, a Hebrew primary or Hebrew primacy in the Gospels. Um, because from a monk's perspective, from a monk's perspective, it would say, little girl, I say to you, arise. But from a Hebrew culture... 
you can see that a Hebrew word has actually slipped into the Latin and Greek text and actually been translated as if it's Greek rather than actually recognizing it and letting it stand as a Hebrew word. Because what's happening here really is, as we read this, you who is under the talit or the burial shroud, arise. And the, the Hebrew word talit comes across into the English. Even today in Israel, when there's a terrorist attack and a Jew is killed, they don't put them in a coffin, do they? What do they do with the body? They lay the body out and they wrap it in a burial shroud, which is a tallit, and the body is buried in a tallit. You'll see that all the time in Israel. That was the custom of the land. Of course, the little girl here is dead. She's wrapped in a tallit. And you who is under the tallit arise. This showing us a Hebrew primacy in the book of Mark, the gospel here. But that word tallit was then carried on over into the Latin and Greek. But they didn't understand that it was a Hebrew primacy word and translated it, of course, into little girl or talitha, talitha kumi, little girl arise. Does that make sense? But that's one of those eye spies that I love to see. Let's read the text. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, talit kumi, or Talitha, if you're going to translate it, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. But really, if we stick with the Hebrew primacy, you who is under the Talit, the burial shroud, arise. And immediately the child arose and walked, for she was how old? So this is representing something about what? The 12 tribes of Israel are going to be awoken and risen from under the burial shroud by the work and redemptive work of Messiah. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he ordered them many times that no one should know it and commanded that something should be given to her to eat. Because when you come out and you are raised up, he's going to give you the bread, the Torah, and you're going to feast and eat. That's what happens, isn't it? And it's all right there. This has got nothing to do with Constantine and Christmas. It's got everything to do with the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. See? I just love it. It just makes more and more sense as we go into the New Testament now. Look at Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Because he's, he's restoring our vision so that we can see our own identity, but we can also see other people's identity. Look at the vision that he's restoring. And he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, don't try this with people who are still caught up with Easter and Christmas. It's not going to find you any friends, okay? Because I know some of you are totally zealous. Yeah, it says in the Bible, if you're still caught up in that, I'm supposed to spit in your eyes. I mean, I'd be like one of those that would want to try that, but I'm not going to. That's just the carnal man trying to get hold of me again there. So he said, and he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked and he said, see, I see men as trees walking. 
men as trees walking. And after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and he made him look up and he was restored and he saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. So the healing comes when you start to see men or trees walking in the Torah commandments of Yahweh. And that tree is nothing else but the olive tree of Israel. Because if he is Messiah, then he has to rule over all 12 tribes, not a separate throne that's been established by Roman pontiffs. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And see, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Yahusha. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the master Yahuwah Elohim shall give to him the kesay, the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob, all 12 tribes, forever and ever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. That's the Messiah. He's always ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you want to be fed by the Messiah, then look, what is he going to feed you? He's going to feed you two fish and five loaves so that you can be gathered into 12 baskets which are presented at the feasts of Yahweh. The two fish represent a divided house, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Those two fish, the only way you're going to get them into one basket is if you feed them the five loaves of bread, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that will bring you into the 12 baskets, the restored 12 tribes of Israel, and you'll be a basket of bread ready to be lifted up at the feasts and festivals of Yah. This is what he's communicating to a Hebrew audience. Luke chapter 9, verse 13. But he said to them, you give them to eat. And they said, we have only five loaves, there's your Torah, and two fishes, a divided house, unless we go and buy food for all this people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, take them, sit them down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to the heavens, he said the bracha, the blessing, and he broke them. And he would have said, Baruch Atah, Yahuwah Eloheinu, Melech HaAlam, Lamotzi Lechem, Min HaAretz. Blessed art thou, Yahuwah Elohim, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread of from the earth, that's the bracha, and looking up to heaven, he said that bracha, and he gave it to the disciples and set it before the multitude. And they did eat, and they were filled, and there was taken up from them fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. This is the restored kingdom of Israel prophecy right here because we've got divided houses right now we've got denominations and divided houses and denominations they will not stand they will not stand are we gathering or are we in the business of scattering what you're living what you're teaching is it scattering 
Or is it gathering? Because if we're involved in syncretism, we're part of the scattering. I want to be involved in Bible things which are gathering. Sabbaths, feasts, festivals. Gather together. Celebrate Yah. Look at Luke 11 verse 23. He who is not with me is actually against me. And he who gathers not with me then scatters. So there we have it. Because this is all about the lost sheep of the house of Israel, synonymous with the house of Ephraim. Luke 15 verse 4 says this, What man among you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and goes after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he is coming home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. The Messiah is always in the business of finding the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's time for us to sweep our houses because we're to sweep the house of Israel for those lost ten tribes that really aren't lost. Look at Luke 15, verse 8. Or what woman, having ten pieces of silver, they, of course, represent the ten northern tribes, what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house? We are to be a light unto the nations, sweeping the house, looking for the ten tribes of Israel to gather into the basket Of the twelve that is ready for the Messiah, we can see he's not just using numbers idly, but is speaking prophecy. And when she diligently finds it, verse 9, and when she has found it, she calls all of her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace that I had lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the heavenly angels of Yahweh over one sinner who repents. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Look at Luke chapter 15 verse 11. Because quite honestly, when I read this, these verses here, I think of all the things that we've been caught up in. Read with me. And he said, a certain man had two sons. Of course, this is the great parable we know of the prodigal son. He said, he had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that belongs to me. And he divided to them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all the things together and he took his journey into a far country, the exile, And there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent it all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. There's your syncretism. And he sent him into his feeds to feed the swine. Now he's messing with demons. And he was longing to fill his belly with the pods that the swine did eat. And no man gave it to him. And when he had come to himself, he said, How many of the hired servants in my father's house have bread enough to eat and to spare? And look, here I am, 
perishing with hunger. And I look at my life and I think, my goodness. Oh, I squandered a life. I spent so many years in the smoking swine. So many years at the barbecue joint in iniquitous behavior. Far, far, far too long. Whether it's trading devotional time here in America where you should be in your Bibles. People are watching Monday night football with men in tights chasing pigskin. What's up with that when you could be in the word of Yahweh? Or too many times we're even living these iniquitous lives and Yahweh's calling us to come back into his house. And he says in verse 18, hey, I'm going to arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against the heavens and before you and I am no more worthy to be called your son. Be me as one as to your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. And when he was a great distance away off, his father saw him and the father has compassion. He has mercy upon us. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Oh, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, This is the restored robe, the one that was shredded into 12. Bring forth a restored garment, one new man. Bring that robe forth and bring it and put it upon the one called your son. But the father said to his his servants, bring forth that one robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring here the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. For this is my son. He was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began, they began to celebrate. Now his elder son, we know the story so well, but he was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music, he heard dancing and he called to one of the servants and he asked, what are these things? What do they mean? And he said to him, your brother, he has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound and he was angry and he would not go in. He was prideful, was he not? He would not go in. Therefore his father, father came out and pleaded with him and he answered and said to his father see these many years how i've served you i've neither transgressed i at any time your commandment the righteous son here is like the jews that say all these time all these years we've done the torah we've been keeping the commandments but he's saying hang on a minute look your brother The ten northern tribes, Ephraim, has been scattered out in the nations. He's come back with a contrite heart because he's been with the pigs. He's been involved in Bacchus worship. He's been involved in the worship of demons. He's come back and has a contrite heart. But you, just like the rich young ruler, you think that you're near, but really you're afar. You think you've been doing righteousness, but righteousness starts by faith. This is really talking about Yahweh's two children, the house of Judah, 
the righteous son that's always been near him in Judea and the other son that's been cast off into the nations by the Assyrians, sopping with the pigs. This is talking about the restoration of the two houses of Israel right here in this prophecy. That's what the New Testament is all about, if we have eyes to see. This is why the prophets declared that Yahushua would come, and this is why they acknowledged that Yahushua was Messiah. Because whenever he spoke, he spoke about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, so they embraced him. If he was speaking about following a pontiff, none of them would have embraced him. They would have killed him as a false prophet. If he was talking about eating pig, they would have killed him as a false prophet, according to Deuteronomy chapter 18. If he was talking about mixing in pagan worship days and doing it unto Yahweh, they would never have embraced him as Messiah, because he was speaking about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, they embraced him as Messiah as they truly should have done. And here we see in verse 30, verse 29, the the, the son, like Judah, answers and says to his father, see these many years how I've served you. I've neither transgressed at any time your commandment. And yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours has come, who has devoured your living with whores and harlots, you have killed for him the fatted calf? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should celebrate and be in joy. For as this your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I have got to share something with you. I'm not a big watcher of movies, but there is one movie. Some of you are going to judge me. It's okay. There is one movie that I absolutely love to watch. Jesus of Nazareth from the 70s. I love that one. It's very long. And the guy that plays it, he's very you know, convincing in, you know, an, in an Anglican kind of Church of England way. He's very British. But this scene in the movie... I'm not one to cry at movies, but I must confess, I have cried so many times at this scene. When, you, when he, in the movie, as Yahushua, goes through this passage, it's like, it's me. It's my life. I've watched that with my kids on Shabbat, and they look at me and go, Papa's going to start crying. I do. It just, oh. Now some of you are going to go back and watch it. But it is. It's powerful. I forget the actor's name, Robert something. Anyway, of course, he's very British because, you know, Jesus was English. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. No, he wasn't. Crikey, some people are going to be writing in. Of course he was. It's the King James Bibles from England. Some people, when you tell them, well, you know, Yahushua was a Jew. What? No, he wasn't. He was from Sandwich, Kent. Well, he actually did visit Sandwich, Kent, but no, he wasn't from there. Anyway, let's go back forth into the word, Luke chapter 17, verse 12. Because really, there's only a remnant of Ephraim that's going to answer the call. This is remnant theology. Luke chapter 17, verse 12. 
And he entered into a certain village. And there he met ten men. Of course, the ten men, now you're starting to think like biblical scholars, of course, represents the ten tribes scattered into the nations by the Assyrians. He met ten men who were lepers. Because you guess what? When you get caught up in all that pagan worship, you're like lepers. Right? You're sick. You're decaying. Your body isn't healthy and you're going to be cast off. And you're never going to be able to come into the presence of Yahweh because you're outside the gates. So we can see that the ten northern tribes are lepers here, synonymous with the lepers who stood far off. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Yahusha, Master, have mercy on us. Who is the first out of the 12 tribes of Israel to accept Yahusha as the Savior? The house of Judah? No. What we see is, of course, Ephraim in the nations today in the 21st century are the ones that herald Yahushua as the Messiah. The only problem is they've been told that they're Gentile Christians and they're supposed to do the synchristic worship of the nations. But when they come into their true identity, then that's when there's going to be the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. So there's much work for us to do, is there not? Because this is who we are. This is who we are. And they lifted up their voice and they said, Yahushua, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice esteemed Yahuwah. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a what? A Shomrite. He and Yahusha answering said, he was a Samaritan, by the way, were there not ten cleansed? That's what Yahusha asked. But there are nine who separated There are not found any who return to give glory to Yahweh except this one stranger. And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And the Pharisees demanded to know when the kingdom of Yahweh should come. And he answered them and said, The kingdom of Yahweh is not coming with observation. Neither shall they say it's here or there, for the kingdom of Yahweh is within you. This is for all the date setters out there that are trying to say that we observe the kingdom by being on the right calendar and all that. And it's, it's not coming by observation. All these prophecies about September, all looking and looking. No, the kingdom of Yahuwah, it is within you now once you're the one leper that returns to give thanks I embraced the kingdom of heaven when I was 24. It's been within me ever since. And it grows and grows and grows. And I'm able to reach more and more people as I get older because it grows and grows. But it was within me the moment that me as a leper got healed and came back and gave thanks. And the reason I'm standing up here before you today is simply to give thanks to Yahusha. That's it. This is my offering. Because when I was 25, a pastor came to me and said to me, Matthew, I want you to share what you just shared with me to the whole congregation on Sunday. 
I nearly choked. And I'm like, no way. I don't speak in public. I don't do that. I got a quivery voice if I do that. I remember when they made me do that at boarding school. I'm not revisiting that again. And the moment I said that, I was convicted within my very man that I have purchased you for a price. Your life is not your own. Follow me and serve me. And from that day forward, I decided that I would be the yes man. Whatever anybody asked me to do to further the kingdom of Yahuwah, no matter how sick it made me feel, no matter how uncomfortable I was speaking in public, I said, yes. Matthew, the college leader is sick. I want you to speak and do the teaching this Sunday to the, pipe, um, the college group. Will you do it? Yeah. Matthew, I'm going on vacation. I want you to preach the sermon on Sunday. Will you do it? What about the, the, the senior pastor? No, I want you to do it. Yeah. Because you can all look at me now. And go, oh, yeah, he's, he just rattles on it. Oh, no. First time I spoke, my wife was being sick somewhere, and my voice, whoa, it's like my voice was breaking. The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not quiver. But this is what happens when we realize where we come from. We come and give thanks. And whatever it is that he has gifted you with, whatever it is, it may not be this. It is just as righteous, just as holy. You lay it down as an offering. And you just say yes. Because that's, you know what your gift is. You know what your gift is. It might take somebody else to say, hey, I would like you to do. And you go, it might not be natural for you at first. But eventually, we just start to walk in that and we say yes. And the next thing you know, it is your life. Look at the next verse, Luke chapter 19, verse 9. You can see why I put the verses up on the screen because we have so many that we're going through. Luke 19, verse 9, And Yahushua said to him, This day as salvation has come to this house, because he also is the, what? The house or the children of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. There's that language of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Whenever were the Gentiles that, when, whenever were Gentiles lost? That makes no sense if we're looking for Gentiles. When were Gentiles ever involved with the temple and then lost after it was destroyed? Never. When you start to look at it in the context, it's talking about the house of Israel. It's not talking about Gentiles. How do Gentiles that have got nothing to do with Israel come and be a part of this? Always the same as it ever was. The sojourner and the stranger graft in and partake of the community of Israel. But they can't bring in their foreign worship They have to come on the terms of Jacob, Israel, which is the promise which was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they have to leave all their pagan nonsense at the door. You can't mix it, because otherwise you'll end up going back into Egypt. 
Even the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well very well knew her identity. Look here. John chapter 4, verse 12. Are you greater, she asks Yahushua? Are you greater than our father Jacob? So she knew that her father was the patriarch Jacob. And he gave us this very well. And he drank from it himself. And his children and his cattle did also. But now we're finding something else. That there is in fact two Israelite flocks. One from one fold and one from another fold. And they'll be made into one fold with one good shepherd. Look at John chapter 10 verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring in. And they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Because we know for Yahushua to be able to do that, he had to die for both houses of Israel. John chapter 11 verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin and said, What do we do? For this man does many signs. Here's the prophecy. If we just leave him alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away our position, our temple, and our nation. They take away Jewish Israel. And one of them, who was named Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider, here's the prophecy, that it is better for us that one man should die for the people than for the entire nation, Jewish Israel, to perish. And this he spoke not by himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Yahushua would die for that nation and not for that nation only, not just for the Jewish nation, but that he also would gather together into one the children of Elohim who were scattered abroad. He's going to bring back the ten northern tribes, all of them together, and Caiaphas prophesied it. And we missed it. We missed the prophecy. We missed the prophecy. Here, even in John chapter 12, we see that these, there are, there's Greeks, which is in the New Testament a term for Ephraim, keeping the feasts of Yahuwah. The ten northern tribes are keeping the feasts. And there were certain Greeks and others among them who came up to worship at the feast. Why? Because they realized their identity. Their identity. But we cannot be deceived by another gospel. Because another gospel is what went out in 325 of the common era. And we're still reeling from it today. The disciples asked one question of the Messiah. I've already said this, but I have to show you because some will go, well, hang on a minute. Where did that? Are you sure? They dwelt with him for many days. But this is the true gospel. This is the true gospel. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. When they therefore had come together, they asked him saying, Master, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? That's it. 
That's the true gospel, the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. The whole house of Israel is supposed to shema, hear of Messiah. You see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, finishing up here in a few, few slides. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know assuredly that the master Yahweh has made known that that same Yahushua whom you have impaled or crucified as both king and Messiah. He's going to be king over the whole house of Israel. He's going to bring them into one body. He's the true son of David, and it's going to be a restored kingdom of David, which is one king ruling over all 12 tribes. This is everything that the prophets had declared for over 500 years. And the way that we come together is that we come together around the feasts. I'm so excited about Sukkot coming up in a few weeks because this is the way the restoration works. We're going to have people coming from all over the world here to Oregon, all over the world to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, believers in Yahusha. This is huge. Look what we see in Acts chapter 2, verse Five. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under the heavens. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. They were rightly confused, because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, See, are not all those who speak Galileans? How then do we hear them speaking in our own native language? There's Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Israelites dwelling in Aram among them, who were Jews from Cappadocia, from Pontus, from Asia Minor, Pygera, Pamphula, Mitzrayim, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Syene, and Jews and strangers from Rome, along with the Yahweh Yerah, those God-fearers, what they're doing, what are they doing? None other than the feasts of Yahweh. There were Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of Yahweh. Right here we see in Acts chapter 2 verse 5, all of those now Ephraim, Israel, coming in from the nations because they've heard the gospel message, the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Because if we go back, we understand that the church was born in Genesis chapter 28. So that church that was in the wilderness with, with Moses was the true church. And Paul tells us that, even in Acts chapter 7, verse 37. This is that Moshe who said to the children of Israel, A prophet shall the master Yahweh your Eloah raise up for you from your own Israelite brothers. Like me, to him shall you listen. This is he who was in the church, ecclesia of Israel in the wilderness. Again, showing you your church, church roots. Many people will say, Matthew, you're mistaken. The tribes of Israel, they were already gathered. They were gathered way before Yahushua. Well, not according to the half-brothers, not according to Yahushua's brother here with Yaakov, we see in James chapter 1, Yaakov, a servant of Yahuwah and the master Yahushua 
our Messiah to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad among the nations in the galut, in the dispersion. Shalom, my Israelite brothers. So apparently not. After the resurrection of Messiah, the children of Israel were still scattered abroad. Those 10 northern tribes are going to be gathered back in. 12 tribes into the one basket. Because many people say, oh no, they they returned in the days of Ezra. No, they did not return in the days of Ezra because James very clearly tells us that they had not returned. The writer of the book of Hebrews even understood the two houses of Israel. Look at this verse right here. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Master Yahuwah, when I will make a new covenant, a Brit Hadashah, with who? With the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The house of Israel is synonymous with the ten northern tribes. This is New Testament here. How could we miss this for so long? Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, says the master Yahweh. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the master Yahweh. I will put my Torah, there you have it, my Torah into their mind and write it upon their hearts, and I will be their Eloah, and they shall be my people, Ami. And they shall not teach every man his fellow Israelite citizen, and every man his Israelite brother, saying, Know the Master, Yahweh, for all Israel shall know me from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their unrighteousness. The seal of the Holy Spirit will teach you the wonderful things of the restoration of the house of Israel. But nowadays, we've been so far off and scattered for so many thousands of years that we really are a bunch of weird people, are we not? Bunch of weird, especially when you start returning to the things of Yahweh and you're trying to figure it out, you really become a peculiar, peculiar People. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. You're part of the royal Malkitzedic priesthood, a holy nation, and a bunch of weirdos. But we love it. I love being a weirdo. Because I'm strange to a sick and twisted world, and that's what I want to be. I don't want to be like that. I used to be like that, and I despise that. I want to be viewed as strange. What is different about you? Why are you not scared when all of this happens? Why do you not get caught up in all of this drama? Why is it that you just seem calm when there's so much going on? How come you don't react to the things that other people react to? Why don't you read what we read, listen to what we listen to, look at what we look at, and speak the way we speak? Because I'm a strange and peculiar person. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 tells us that we are Old Testament is. What, what were you looking at me? My wife's giving me some cray looks right now. 
What are you looking at me crazy for? Did I do something? Spill the beans. No, really. What is it? I want to know. Later. Am I in trouble? All right, I always have to ask that. Did I, did I inadvertently do something? You know, when you get the wife look, it's like, oh. Bum, bum, bum. Uh-oh. All right, guys, see you later. Got to go to the back room. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, Israelite brothers, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers who were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all did eat the same spiritual food and all did drink the same spiritual drink and they all drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and the rock that was with them is Messiah. But with many of them, Yahweh was not well pleased for there were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were for our admonition, for our example, to the intent we should not last after evil things just as they lusted. Neither let us be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and there fell in one day 23 thousand neither let us test the messiah as some of them also tested and were destroyed by serpents so when yahushua comes along he is none other the, the 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 scriptures teach us especially in the book of ephesians we'll look into that later that yahushua is the anti-venom when they got bitten by the serpents, Yahushua is the anti-venom. And it says in the Brit Hadashah, that he, they shall lift him up and they shall look upon him who they pierced. He's the anti-venom. When everyone was scurrying to their tents, oh, I got bitten and they're going to die. He's the anti-venom, the deliverer that was prophesied at that very moment. And when we get into the language of the New Testament, you'll see it actually comes across as anti-venom. It's pretty cool. But anyway, we can continue on. That was just a thread. Um, Verse 10, neither let us murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. And all these things happen to them for examples. I do that with my kids, sorry. And they are written, you know, Bible comes alive. And they were written, if you want to freak your kids out, read thematically the last three chapters of the book of Judges to them. It's amazing. If you want to see your kids' mouths on the floor, do a thematic reading of the last three chapters of Judges. It's amazing. Literally, they will have nightmares. But it's okay because it's biblical. And my wife got totally mad with me. My kids come down for breakfast the next day. Oh, 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 man. Dreaming of butcher's knives and severed bodies. I mean, the Bible, I mean, why look at the worldly, secular stuff? I mean, when you can read the scriptures. I mean, if you want to watch a horror movie, lay it aside. Let's read the last three chapters of Judges. Get out a butcher knife. I'll change you around the house. (laughs) You unrighteous, iniquitous woman. I mean, really. I mean, you see it everywhere. It's beautiful. So anyway, sorry, that's where that came from. Just in case, because some people would be like, oh my goodness, did you hear that was a demon? That's back in the old messianic days. If you ever did any thematic stuff, people would be like, oh my goodness, did you hear that voice? That wasn't his voice. 
no, I'm just, you know, being myself. Who are you and I really, Galatians tells us. We're right back where we started. That's what I love about the Bible. It's one big circular cyclical thinking, isn't it? Shabbat to Shabbat, new month to new month, feast to feast, festival to festival, and we go back and we go around Ezekiel's wheels, wheels and wheels and wheels and wheels. None of this Greco-Roman linear. There's a cross in the middle. That's after the cross. This is before the cross, and now we get to compartmentalized thinking does not work in the Bible world. Now we're back where we've begun, Galatians 3.26. For you are all children of faith. You're the children of Yahweh by faith in the Messiah, Yahushua. For as many of you has been immersed into the Messiah, have put on Messiah, put him on, walk him in and be brave and courageous. I added that, but it's so true. There is neither Jew nor Aramean nor Greek. There's neither slave or free. There is neither male or female. For you're all one in Israel, in the Messiah, Yahushua. And if you're Messiahs, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise, because that's the promise. You're no longer Gentiles. You're no longer separated from the covenants of Torah. You're brought in through that great Malkizedek high priest. That's what you see right here in Ephesians 2.11. Therefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by those called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time... You were without Messiah, being excluded, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without a lower in this world. But now in Messiah, Yahushua, you who sometimes were far off, scattered in the nations, are made near by the blood of Messiah. And he continues on more and more. You can read it for yourselves in your own time. There's so much to see. I just have to stop at this point because I feel like I've been going on way too long. But now I'm tempted to give you more scripture because I love the word. Jeremiah chapter 11 verse 16. Some of you thought it was over, but it's not. Yahweh called your name a green olive tree. Fair and good fruit, but with the noise of a great Talmud, He has set fire upon it, and its branches are broken. Now, of course, this is Romans 11 right here, isn't it? For Yahweh Savot, who planted you, has pronounced evil against you for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Again, Jeremiah tells us that when that tree is broken and rotting, it's because the house of Israel and the house of Judah have split. So when... Paul talks to the Romans about the healing of that tree, then is it going to be bringing in a bunch of denominations? No, it's bringing in exactly the house of Israel and the house of Judah because the olive tree of Romans chapter 11, it's not a Jewish olive tree with non-grafted, non-Jews grafted in. It's an Israelite olive tree rooted in Yahuwah. Because as we come to Revelation in these final, final days, you'll have to see for yourself, there is no church gate of which you enter. There is no church gate. 
There is only a gate for the 12 tribes of Israel that belong to the flock of Jacob. From the beginning to the end, it's always about the true church. I want to be a part of the true church, and therefore that birth is in Genesis 28. And when I discovered this, I could not help do the work that I was called to do, which was to say yes and to share it. For over a decade, I sat out in the woods studying this stuff, and I kept it to myself. And finally, I was convicted it was time to start speaking and sharing. And we started off with a little Bible study, and it grew to about 17 people around my dining room table. And then from there, a lady who, a single lady, had a big house, a big mansion in West Salem. We went up there and um, opened up that place and filled that place up, did we not? And then from there, somebody said, hey, you know what? If I get a building and do that, will you come? And And it just grew and continued to grow and grow. But it all started from simple, humble beginnings and a conviction of you can't just sit home and study by yourself and have all this revelation and understanding and then not go share it with people. But I needed that season of separation from all the nonsense to get my thought and life right from all the syncretism. And I wasn't sure at first. I'm like, is this, is this right? You know, because I was so full of the doctrines of men, but not so much as a lot of you because I was not churched. And that was the blessing. It was a blessing in disguise. I was untaught and unchurched. I only spent eight years in the church so I, always, I even questioned everything I heard there. I was a big reader from the get-go. Always have been, because I didn't know diddly squat. I thought, well, if I want to find out about the one who's purchased me, I better read and find out. And silly me, I actually started to believe it. And take it literally. Well, when he says that, then maybe I should actually do it. And then I'd do it and see my life would change for the better, and then people would have to talk me down. I'd be like, well, hang on a minute. But it's really been good. It's actually really helped us in our marriage. And, oh, but you don't really need to do that. Well, that doesn't make sense because it's really helped us. We would have been, you know, who knows? So I'll be like, okay, yeah, but I'm going to continue to do it because it's actually really working. You know, people, oh, you don't have to do that. You know, you're taking that too literally. That's Old Testament. Oh, but, you know, it, it really does work. The Bible works. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Revelation chapter 21 verse 12 and it had a great high wall and it had 12 gates and at the gates 12 heavenly angels and the names written on the gates which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel master when when will you restore the kingdom to Israel They could have asked any question in the whole wide world. Any question. Imagine you're in the presence of the resurrected Messiah. You could have asked him anything. (coughs) They asked him the most important question in the heavens and on the earth. That's the question that we're now answering ourselves because we've asked the question. He's given us the answer. It's the awakening of Israel. It's our life. We have a responsibility in love 
to share the true gospel, which is, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Because so many people have lost their identity, and that's the problem. This, I hope, will be an aid and a help to a broken nation and broken nations. Because ultimately, it does end with the healing of the nations. Does it not? The healing of the nations. Questions, comments, a lot to take in. Hopefully you wrote some of those scriptures down so you can track. That was part two of a part two teaching. So there you go. Questions in the back. Yes, we do have one. Um, Is the weekly communion related to the Jewish weekly bread and wine, Kiddush, every Shabbat? No. That's a great question. So... Kiddush, Kedushah, which is sanctification or holiness. So in um, Judaism or in the original Hebrew context, breaking of bread and the drinking of wine is something that was done and is continually done as a setting apart and having a meal together. That's okay to do. We do that. Often we do that. We just did it last night at our house. We broke of the bread. We drunk of the fruit of the vine because we were sanctifying that we were coming and preparing to go into the Sabbath. If um, somebody's getting married, for instance, it's great to do a kiddish blessing because wine and the blessing, it's sanctification. So that is okay. But the thing that they were doing with the tiny little cup and the sun disc wafer on a Sunday morning, that is not what we're talking about here. So there's a difference. So feel free to do kiddish and to have challah bread and kedushah, a time of holiness, but it's the Sunday communion that comes from the Bacchus and Dionysus worship? Great question. We see the 11 pieces given and then one piece given. And this is about going back to, I think it was the coins. Um, Where is the 12th piece? Who is that 12th tribe? Is that the split tribe of Benjamin? Yeah, well, yes, Benjamin is that 12th tribe. Because remember, so many of the Benjamites got decimated decimated that's that that's that great story in the last three book chapters of judges they got decimated um so there was only it was a limited tribe and they were actually around um in the land of benjamin which was near the temple mount the true temple mount so they were caught up in the judean tribe the jude the yahudites so with judah really there was some of Levi serving in the temple and some of Benjamin that were in that area too. So that's, that's where you get um, that explanation. Yes, question. What do you think is the significance of the 50 groups at the breaking of the 12 loaves? Yeah, I was, I, I, I was wondering that as I read it. I don't know. That would be a great discussion yeah, so what is the 50? No, it's less than a generation. Well, hopefully we'll, um, maybe we can 
table that and what is it? Is that connected? There we go. Is that connected to the 50 days from um, to counting to um, Shavuot, the 50 days, the counting of the Omer, which is going from, from barley into wheat. It's the counting from, from redemption into true faith and growing. That, there we go. That's a great discussion, something that we could uh, maybe delve into around uh, Sukkot campsite camp campsite fire we've got the jubilees jubilees i definitely see this is what this is what i love this this is a fireside conversation somebody remember this for sukkot yes i just an observation i I, uh the i've been going through luke uh, in the last uh week and um as the 10 lepers that came to yusha um begging uh, for the union he sent them to the priests um and only one returned um and as I'm coming back to the words of our master, I'm finding that all of this Torah instruction that we've been under for 10 years for our household, all of a sudden is coming to this fruit of, I don't know what to do next. Are we going to be sent out? Uh, because I want to return to the master and go, now what? What do you want me to do with all of this? And it, it really is, it's got us fired up, but what do we do now? Yeah, I think that's it is, you know, just like like I was sharing, there's a point where I think we'll be asked of to do something and you'll know that it's within you, it's within, it's your gift, but you maybe don't know how to get to where you're going, but he'll empower you. What I'm saying for me, and I can only speak for myself, I... I remember so many times when I was first in the church, I'd go to men's retreats and I would, I would sit there and I'd list, look at these young pastors and I was 24, maybe they were 30, 31. And I would look at them teaching and I would just be amazed at how could they do that? How could they just sit there in front of people and share and it just intrigued me and I just so wanted to be able to do that but I never vocalized it no one ever it was in me but I didn't know how on earth to get from where I was to there it was beyond me so it was just something that I would often think and I would I would just be like wow because it wasn't me I was I just couldn't, I couldn't speak in front of people and I couldn't even imagine. But it was when I was asked to do that, all of my fears came forward that shut me down. But then, then I knew that was the calling and it was Yahweh who was empowered me to get from there to here. That's, it's truly a miracle. So I think that's going to happen in all of our lives, that there's something within all, each and every one of you that you'll be like, you, it's something you're, you see, a gifting, but you don't quite know how to get there. Something will be asked of you, and then the Spirit will empower you to get there, to make the breach, to make that connection. That's all I can say from what I've experienced. And I've seen it with others too. Yes. 
Uh, Matthew, I didn't know if you had more to say, but we do have a few people out here that are asking for prayers. Um, one thing is that I guess there's a huge fire in Montana, and people are being asked to evacuate. And uh, it's Sylvia, her name is, and uh, it's threatening homes currently, and their brothers and sisters in Mashiach who are leaving our houses as we speak. Really? Um, and, of course, you know, Houston, we keep them in our prayers as well. So, yeah, let's lift up our, our brothers nationwide, worldwide, specifically right now, Father. We do pray right now that you would equip, empower, and quicken by your Holy Spirit those that are seeking you, Yahweh, truly at this moment as fires try to encroach upon their land, their property, Abba. We ask, Father, that you would give them the wisdom and discernment to know how to go and which direction to flee, that they would not be caught up in FEMA camps or other Walmarts or wherever they're trying to congregate the masses as the men and the world do. But, Father, that you would equip your saints to have wisdom, that they would be preserved, that their bodies would be preserved, Abba, and that you would see them through the fire, see them through the flames, Abba. Give them the courage and the strength to be a light. And, Abba, we just pray your mercy upon them, your mercy upon their family, and we ask that your mercy would be upon them in this situation in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Amen.